Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, you can tell by my voice, I have a tad bit of a cold, and if there's one thing I've learned through COVID, is if you have germs, you don't share them with other people, right? So yeah, I've been hanging out in the back. Uh, uh, wow, what a worship service, you know? Um, what a privilege it is to worship together with people who love God. If you got your Bibles open with me to Acts chapter 9, we're going to walk through Acts 9 for the most part today. Um, before we get all serious, though, did you hear about the explosion at the Lego factory? No. Yeah, the damage was for 10 blocks. <laughs> you know, I like this one. This is my favorite. Um, sometimes I pull my knees up to my chest. You know, that's just how I roll. Oh, <laughs> uh, what, what we're going to do is... Uh, we're walking through a series called Paul's Playbook. Paul's most, one of the most influential people in the world, honestly. Uh, Jesus and then the Apostle Paul, probably one and two, are people that have affected history probably about as much as anybody else, maybe Abraham, throw him up there, or Moses. But uh, uh, world history has been changed through these guys. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we have, and we've been looking at this summer we're going to be looking at his writings, we're going to be looking about what he has to say about life, living in the church, and what we're doing now is we're in the middle of uh, the, actually we're in the first parts of getting to know Paul and who he was and how he became a follower of Jesus and what that looks like. So um, if you would, would you stand to your feet with me and we're going to read Acts chapter 7, verse 59, that's where we're going to start, and this is um, the story of a guy named Stephen who was one of the first deacons. He is being stoned for his faith in Christ. And it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul was there giving the approval of the death. Now, Saul giving approval means that he was probably the authority figure in that moment, meaning that Saul was the one who was responsible for the death of Stephen. And it was Stephen who prayed a prayer. <laughs> don't forgive them. Or don't, hey, God, forgive them. Think about that. In his darkest moment, his death, his darkest moment, he actually paid, prayed a prayer that I believe planted the seeds in Saul's life to make him into the apostle Paul. Saul's name changed to Paul. After this event, because Saul saw something in a guy that he was persecuting that changed Paul's future. And there's some of you that you think when you go through a rough time, you're just going through a rough time and that it doesn't matter. But who can you forgive? Who's done you wrong that if you forgive them, maybe it would change the history of the world? Why is it you have to hold all this stuff in and you have to have this poor, poor, pitiful me world? Maybe if you forgive those who've done you wrong, maybe it would make an impact on the world to come. Hmm. Father, I pray that today you would add your power 
to the reading and the sharing of your word. And as I endeavor to share a few thoughts from the scripture, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you would say and that the power of the Holy Spirit would speak in ways that are greater than the voice of the one speaking. That your Holy Spirit would declare to human hearts what only you can declare and you would call by name each person in this room, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, wait, wait, stop, stop. We, yeah, before you sit down, before you sit down, look, there's somebody close to you that maybe everybody in the world's been grumpy to them all week long, and you know what they need? They need somebody just to look at them, give them a big smile, and let them know that it's all right, that they, somebody likes them, somebody likes them. So turn and give them a smile, and just let them know somebody likes them. There you go. All right. <clears throat> So our text today is about how this Saul, who was um, a persecutor of the church, became the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament about how God wants the church to run. How did this transition happen? I believe it happened here on this day when Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And when all except the apostles who were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began, the Saul began to destroy the church. He began to destroy the thing that he was later to invest his life in building. And uh, before we do that, let's, let's go back and recap church. What is the meaning of church? Unfortunately, when we hear church, we think of a building like I'm going to go to church at a location and we hear things like that, but that's not the meaning of the word church. The original meaning of church is, uh, um, is different because our translation comes from an old English word called kerche and it means the house of the Lord. Well, this is not the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. You are. Because the Bible says that we are ecclesia, the, the word church there in Greek is called out ones. Ecclesia, the called out ones. Those who God calls by name, to come out from among the world and to make an impact on the world. And remember we talked last week about how that passage, that word is used in in Greek history and anthology and in other writings in Greek about a group of people that are called out of their homes and called out of their businesses to make decisions politically or socially about their culture and their world. So ecclesia are those that are called out of their normal life into the special work of making an impact on the world. And that's why I believe Jesus chose the word ecclesia of the called out ones, the ones that are called out of normal to be something special for him. Now this Paul who was trying to destroy the church finds himself building it. But apparently there's this tension in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Galatians 1, 13, you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Then Philippians 3, 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church. So he was trying to destroy this movement of Jesus, these called out people, and then he winds up becoming one of them. Just be careful that the things you fight against the most, I've been around as a pastor for a while, and I'll tell you that that old phrase, you remember that old phrase, methinks the damn soul doth protest too much? Anybody ever heard that one, right? Yeah, I was online on Facebook last night and some girl was just like, 
she was like blasting religions are all horrible and you know don't go to a hospital if you think religions are horrible because hospital movement was started by Christians <laughs> so if if all Christians are horrible you can just get rid of all hospitals because that was started by anyway don't I, uh, yeah, anyway, we, we could go on and on. But my point is this, is that when you find yourself fighting against something too hard, it might be that there's a call of God again somewhere in there. And, and you know, I can tell when a person begins to yelp too much about a single thing, God might be dealing with them about that thing in their life and they're not listening right. You can just stick that one away because uh, it'll help you with parenting because you'll know where your kids' problems are by what they talk about. Your wife and your spouse, you, anyway. All right, so four words. We're going to walk through Paul. We're going to walk through his conversion today. And when we do, I want us to notice four key words. And the first key word is Paul was called. He was called. God called him. Ekklesia. Ek, it means out. Kaleo means called. So God called Paul by name. The story is in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, which is where everybody wanted to go this year, to Damascus. Uh, so if, <clears throat> sorry, it just was there. I had to, I had to do it, right? Ask him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And what happened? The Holy Spirit showed up. Yeah. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And when he fell to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. I thought Paul was persecuting the church. Saul, Saul, Paul. I, I'd like to talk to you. Saul was a Benjaminite. Do you know that? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He makes a big deal about that because Benjamin was the original king and who was the original king of Israel? Saul was the original king and Saul's own name was after the king. So he carried this thing in him. And that's why when he talks about his pedigree as a Jewish person about he was going to be of the original king descendant, not that takeover David thing. And, and that's part of the reason maybe he even was fighting against Jesus was his interpretation of the Old Testament covenant and the promises of God. And, and he had his ideas about, about Jesus. And then he met Jesus and Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Listen, you are the body of Christ. You are. And, and if I could just summarize my message today, very, very simple to you. And I make this really, really quick, really simple. If you got to leave, you got to go to the bathroom, you're watching online, you know, like whatever. Hey, listen, listen. You have a purpose as a called out child of God. You have a purpose. And your purpose is valuable. So when the persecution was happening, he, Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because if Jesus is the head and we are the body of Christ, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, then you literally are Christ incarnate to this world. Your life has purpose. You are more than just a breathing chunk of flesh. You are Jesus incarnate to people and you have an opportunity to minister to them that nobody else will. 
He said, you are persecuting me. Notice he called him by name, Saul, Saul, called him. Why are you persecuting me? Then he replied, who are you? And this is a key word in the passage, Lord. In this moment, Saul recognizes that Jesus is Lord. Now we know that Paul writes a little later in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, he says that if you confess Jesus is Lord, you are saved. What's he doing in this moment? He is declaring because he saw Jesus in his splendor. When he saw them, him in his glory, he declared Jesus Lord. And he said, all right, tell me what's going on here. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he replied, get up and go into the city. You'll now be told what to do. I think it's funny that as soon as he declared Jesus as Lord, everything in his life changed. He gets told where to go, what to do, and who to do it with. And something else, he's now blind. Acts 9, 8, then Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Now, this is key to understanding Paul. And we'll talk about this for a few minutes here. But I want you to see that his blindness is key to understanding his future. And the key to understanding not only his future, but also his past and how the two work together. When he got up, he was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Here's this cocky guy going to prove God right because he was fighting for God as a descendant of the kingship and he is now on his way to prove God right and he gets blinded and led into the, the city by his hands. Just a blind guy walking along and he didn't eat or drink anything. You know, when Jesus becomes your Lord, he may mess you up first. If Jesus becomes your Lord, he may mess you up because he's got to change your sight. That's what we're going to talk about with Paul, how he changed his sight. He'll change your life. And if you cut me, if you cut me, I'm probably going to bleed. I want you to experience the resurrected Jesus. That's what's going to come out of me. I want, listen, we got enough churches filling up property and singing songs. You know, you know what I want? I want you to meet the resurrected Jesus. Because if you meet him, you will never, ever be the same. About three and a half years ago, there was a big old tall drink of water came and walked through the front door. And God had been messing with him. He walked through the front door, one guy, and I remember meeting him. As a matter of fact, the train's dedicated to his memory. His name's Rich Ryder. He's about six foot three, skinny guy, you know, a little bit of a big attitude and all that stuff comes through the door and I start talking to him. And Within a, within a couple of weeks, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. A little earlier this year, I did his funeral. Love that guy. Man, in three years, God did so much in his life. And at his funeral, I, I made a statement, and my statement was, you know, I, I hear from everybody that from the time Rich walked through the doors of Harvest Ridge, he totally changed. And now when I say stuff like that at a funeral, normally I get one or two heads that'll nod. But those of you that were there that day, his family, his friends, his coworkers, the people, everybody I said, and when he met Jesus, he totally changed and everybody in the room, you could see their heads. It's like they were bobbleheads all at the same time. Because here, here's what happened. When Rich Ryder met Jesus, he changed. That's what I want for you. I want you to meet Jesus. Not religion, not some version of Christianity. 
But the powerful Jesus, the knock Paul to the ground, blinded him, and they had to drag him by the hand. And if he messes with you, good, because you might need a little messing with. I want you to meet Jesus. So what happened was he met Jesus and he was blind now. So let's, we get introduced to a guy that meets him. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. By the way, this is the only time Ananias is mentioned in the scriptures is this story. So this is a guy that only shows up in the history of Christianity for one moment. That's it, one moment. What if your entire life has lived for one moment? What if God puts you and, and causes you to go through all of the things you go through, develop all the things you do so you can show up for one moment and make an impact? Because without Ananias, you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room today. One guy made one big choice that changed the world. And that's not an understatement because Christianity then changed the entire world. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he's praying. Hold on. Does anybody remember 33 records? You know records? Anybody remember those? You remember when you'd bump into the record player and it was playing and all of a sudden it'd go, Eah! does anybody remember that? There should be a Eah! right here in the story. It should be there. Here's why. He called out in a vision, said, yes, Lord, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Hold on. I use this illustration. I'm careful about using it, but I, 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 I'm not accusing or anything. I, I just want to use it in an illustration. But let's say there was a guy in Cleveland that had been breaking into churches with AK-47s and been shooting Christians. And they knew his name as Muhammad. And tomorrow morning you wake up and he's been doing this now and killed dozens of Christians in Cleveland. And you know who he is and they've got a picture out for him on the news. And you wake up tomorrow morning and God says, hey, Bill, I want you to go to West 145th And I want you to meet a guy named Muhammad and tell him about Jesus. How many of you were willing to take that up, right? That would be a little scary if somebody's murdering Christians and you get sent to him as a Christian to tell them about Jesus. What do you think you're going to do? Die. You're going to die. Bro, it's over with. If you don't hear the screech in this story, you're not paying attention. Hey, Ananias, there's a guy looking to kill you. Go to his house. <laughs> yeah, for he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this guy and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here on authority of the chief priest to arrest people like me, people who call on your name. <laughs> but the Lord said to Ananias, I don't think you understand, bro. Go. <laughs> this man is my chosen instrument. He was called. He was chosen to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and people of Israel. And I will show him. I'll show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. 
That's a key verse for me. That's the verse God used to call me into ministry, but that's a different story for a different day. So let me ask you a question. If God calls you by name, if God calls you by name, do you think he loves you and wants you? God called Saul by name. God calls you by name too. You are the called out one. He knows your name. He has called you by name. He loves you. He wants you. And he wants you to be in relationship with him. Second word is Paul was filled. Now, it wasn't enough just to be called out. Paul had a work he needed to do. To do the work he needed to do, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that around here the last couple of weeks. You can't simply do God's work in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit's power. Now, Paul had already confessed Jesus as Lord, so the Holy Spirit was living in him. The Holy Spirit was living in him. The Holy Spirit had given him life. Paul had already confessed Jesus as Lord, but he needed an empowering of the Holy Spirit. So what happened? 9.17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, because he's already calling him brother now. Brother Saul, the Lord. Yeah, the Lord. In case you're wondering, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me you may, so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boom, laid his hands on him. And guess what happened? Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and then he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, can we just talk about this for a bit? The, the, something happens here that is physical, but it's also spiritual, and it's ongoing in Paul's life. You see, Paul had problems with his eyes from this moment on because something happened here that was metaphorical as well as physical. All right, and, and allow me to, a couple of thoughts to establish this. At the moment that Paul walked in, Saul walked in to that, that house in Damascus, he viewed God through the lens of the old covenant. He viewed God through the lens of the old covenant. And his understanding of God was limited to an old covenant understanding of God. And there was a blindness on him as is symbolized by the blindness. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a symbolism of what's going on here. And we'll talk about one of his writings later that he says this. There were scales that fell off his eyes. The scales that kept him from seeing Jesus in the old covenant. Those scales literally fell off of his eyes. There is a symbolism here that his eyes were blinded by his view of God from the law, but when Jesus appeared to him and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was then opened so his eyes could see the new covenant he had in Jesus. Now this is very key to Paul because Paul writes about his eyes a little bit. And I believe God actually allowed something to come on Paul as a reminder, this is my view. I've read the scriptures enough that I have views. I've read multiple views about whether or not it was people persecuting him or other things. But my view is, and we're going to, to learn from scripture, that I believe Paul's view was that his eyes were then damaged for a lifetime, even though he could see clearly in the spiritual, 
his physical eyes were a reminder that he needed to view the world through the spiritual eyes rather than the physical eyes. Let me establish this, okay? In uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, I testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes to give them to me. So why would Paul write to a church and say, if you could have given me your eyes, you would have? Apparently, there was something wrong with what? His eyes. So he says that. And then in another place, he writes, see what large letters I write as I, as I write to you with my own hands. So when it came time to sign the letter, he would literally, and he did this a couple of times, he would write a greeting at the end, but they were always big letters because he had trouble seeing. Now, this is the same Saul that, that knew the law inside and out, and now he is writing these letters or dictating these letters because he didn't write them himself because he couldn't see well. Now, I attach this to a passage in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. What, what's going on here is Paul had a blinder on him. He had scales on his eyes when he read the law. But when Jesus came into his life, he took those scales off and he was able to see in his spirit. But God, as a reminder, left behind some physical issues to remind him that he should not go back to his old way of viewing things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 says to this day, there's a veil that remains when the old covenant is read. There's a veil over your eyes. It has not been removed because only in Christ is this veil taken away. Because what he's referencing here is Moses' veil and a veil that was over his face hiding him from God's glory through the veil of the law. And he says, even to this day, when Moses is read, there's a veil over their, their hearts. And, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and they can see clearly. And he was saying that there's a, a blindness on people that are trying to live for God, doing it the old covenant way. And I want to use three words that the New Testament uses to talk about this old covenant, that it is fulfilled. That means it's done, it's, it's fulfilled. All the promises, all the covenant, we can talk about covenant making, but we'll talk about that as we move on this summer. It is fulfilled, it is completed, and it is now obsolete because in Christ we have a new covenant. So, good news, you can eat shrimp now. Good news, you can eat a cheeseburger now because the law does not apply anymore because in Christ we have the fullness of God's revelation revealed in a way that brings us freedom rather than more oppression because you couldn't obey the law anyway. You all break it. All of you do. Every day you break it. You break it all the time. And there's no way we can live under that oppression. And Jesus afforded us a new way and that's the covenant of his death, burial, and resurrection to give us new life in Christ. <clears throat> That's the good news, is you don't have to perform to get God's love. You get it simply because he loves you and he called you. Hmm. So when Paul was filled with the Spirit, he now views this scripture, this old covenant, a different way as fulfilled, now instructing us, as he writes in Galatians, as a school teacher instructing us on how to know God rather than laws to keep us from God. So, <clears throat> one more. 
2 Corinthians 12, 7, why did Paul still have trouble with his eyes? I believe his thorn in the flesh was his eyes, and it says, I, it was given to me, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, and I said, take this away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So as long as Paul remembered that he needed Jesus to fulfill him, to be all things. It was no longer his righteous works, it was Jesus' work, and the eyes were a constant reminder that his eyes were to see differently regarding the law and that he was to live in the grace and the power that is made perfect in his weakness. Now, I've seen this happen a couple of times. One time was, I have a a nephew named Andrew. Andrew was... uh, 1920, something like that. He had grown up in church. He's my nephew. I was down in Oklahoma, and he was at that point in his life where he had rejected, basically, Christianity. He wasn't going to follow Jesus anymore. He was going to church to get his mom and dad off his back, but he hadn't made a decision to follow Jesus for himself. And uh, I was just learning Greek, and I, sat, I was sitting at my mom and dad's dinner table reading Greek when he walked through the door. He said, what you doing? And he plopped down next to me, and I just happened to reading, be reading from Colossians about how th- that we can't fulfill the, the law, that, that we, all of those laws are righteous requirements, and they, the more we focus on what we do wrong, the more we do wrong, and the less that we're fulfilled in Christ, and, and how... The, it never stops us from sin, but there's freedom in Jesus. And I was reading this, and as I was reading this, Andrew said at the dinner table, and I, I, I sensed the shift in him. He decided to follow Jesus rather than do it by himself. And there was a shift in him. By, by the way, you know what Andrew does now? Andrew is a pastor. <laughs> he pastors a church. He took over a little church of 20 people. They got like 150 people coming to church now. He remodeled the whole thing. He's, he's got three boys now. Those boys are quoting scripture and following Jesus. And, and it all started with one moment when, like, like Paul, there was a shift that happened. It happened with Tim Turner, too. He was a kid in my youth group. We were at youth convention. And uh, Tim was, you know, Tim was one of those guys raised in church, decided he'd walk away from God because he doesn't really like it, but he was showing up because we played games and, and we're at youth convention and we were at a service and Tim's like, you know, I, I think I really want to do this thing. And I remember us kneeling down and I was like, God, you called Tim by name, but he needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we were there praying and there was like this, this wall that Tim wouldn't get through. And I don't know what happened to me. I, I, Holy Spirit came on me and I just yelled out, in the name of Jesus, as loud as I could. All of a sudden, Tim, just all the barriers broke down and Tim, Tim still, Tim got baptized in the Holy Spirit right there, right then. His life was changed. He became my most dependable youth leader. He was the guy that, that stayed with me and he's still following Jesus to this very day. That's, that's 30 years ago. Why? Why? Because God's called you by name. When he feels, fills you, he fills you for a purpose to fulfill his calling on your life. And then there's the, the third thing that happened. Paul was included. I got to move quickly through this. Can y'all help me go fast? All right, here we go. Acts 9, 19. Saul spent several days in, with the disciples in Damascus. 
At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the son of God. So Saul gets saved and he starts talking about Jesus. And nobody wants to hear him. They're a little out there. It says, all those who heard him were astonished, verse 21. Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners, as chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers... So there were some people that heard Saul and they're like, hey, this guy came to kill us, but you know what? I think he's one of us now. And they became people in relationship with him. And when they did so, they took him by night, lowered him through a basket, an opening in the city wall. Let me ask you another very strong question right here. Do you know any of these people's names? Not one of them. Yet without them, we wouldn't have two thirds of the New Testament. You know why? Because these people held the rope for somebody they didn't even know. You know, you don't have to be super duper awesome, but you could be nice. I, I'm not saying that Jesus wants us to all be nice little Mr. Rogers, but I would say something. I, I would say something to you that Jesus wants you at least to represent him in a way that doesn't offend people. It would be nice if the Christians that I knew actually acted like Christians when they were interacting with people who weren't Christians or were Christians or are Christians. You know, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life are people who claim to be followers of Christ. Why? Why? Can we, come on, I'll tell you why. I will tell you why. Because you're still, you follow Jesus, but you're still trying to live this way rather than this way. The old covenant, you got to obey. The, it's all about rules to you. And the more rules you become, the farther you get away from Jesus. You know what Jesus wants you to do? Hold on, he gave you a command. Let's see if I can pull this one up. Jesus' command, love one another. Hmm. What's our only command? New Testament, love one another. Because love is the fulfillment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These fulfill all the commandments. Am I correct? Well, then why don't we act like it? I tell you why we don't act like it, because we want to justify ourselves in our sin and are not following Jesus. So we want to be grumpy to other people. But thank God there were some people that decided they would do their part and they would love somebody that came to persecute them and they let them down through a wall. You don't know their names, but without them, we're in a peck of trouble. Be nice. I saw it this past week, Mike Babbitt. Those of you that know Mike, you can embarrass him with me. This past Wednesday night, we had a guy show up at church. He was homeless, and he was in need and struggling a little bit. And uh, I saw Mike Babbitt and a couple other guys that are here early to pray on Wednesday nights. They were walking around with this guy. They introduced me to him. And, uh, and then after service, I had an opportunity to talk to him and pray with gentlemen to receive Christ. But you know what Mike did? Mike took him up, made sure he got a hotel room, made sure that he had a place to stay. He was homeless, made sure he had food, made sure he was able to get to his job the next day, followed up with him, took him to a meeting the next day, make sure he had food, make sure he was taken care of. Mike Babbitt, Mike Babbitt simply acted like Jesus in this lobby. So why you got to be rude to the person behind the counter? Why? It's not their fault. They didn't raise gas prices. It ain't their fault, right? Come on. They're working 
hard just to get by. And, and you're like, give me that. And I'm like, wow, love of Jesus oozing out of you today. <laughs> you know what we need to be? We need to be a little bit more like a guy named, a guy named Barnabas. <clears throat> Acts 9, 26, when Saul or Paul came to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples, they were all afraid of him. <laughs> Even big old bad Peter was all afraid of little bitty Saul or Paul. Yeah. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But a guy named, what was his name? A guy named Barnabas. He took him and brought him to the apostles. So there was a guy that took a risk. There was a guy that went out of his way. There was somebody that made an impact. His name was Barnabas. He risked his own skin, his own reputation to reach out to somebody on the fringes. This was who Barnabas was, though. It says in Acts 4.36, Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means, so his very name means son of encouragement. He was the guy that sold a field he owned and gave all the money away because Barnabas was an encourager who was all in. Acts 15.25, when Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, so later on, Saul goes away and Barnabas goes looking for him again. It, Saul, Barnabas did this with Mark. Barnabas did this all over the place. Barnabas's MO was this. I find somebody that I want to encourage. I go find them and I bring them in. Happened to me when I was in college. I really gave my heart to Christ and I, all my friend group left me. Being in college was no friend group. That's really fun, right? Because I gave my heart to Christ and I didn't do what they did before, so none of them want to hang out with me. And then there was this dude named Robbie McClure. He wore shoes a lot like this, except they were checkered. And he wrote, God rules facing this way. And he would walk up, he had a mullet. It was the 80s, all right? He had a mullet. It was, you know, big old poofy top on his hair. He was a drummer in a band and had long hair in the back, mullet. He would walk sort of, you know, this was Robbie McClure in the 80s. He'd walk up to you and he'd go... So you'd have to look down at his shoes and then you'd see God rules and be like, oh, dude. And he was, you know, it was the 80s. All right, what can I say? One day he walked up to me, he goes, yo, crow daddy. Want to go see Striper with me? And he called me crow daddy and crow dog. Yeah. You want to go see Striper with me? And, you know, I went to see Striper with him and he included me in his friend group. And because of a guy named Robbie McClure, I'm here today. He was a little weird, but it was all right. And, and some of you, you think you're too weird. You think you're not cool enough. You think you're not godly enough. You think you're not whatever enough. And what you need to do is lay aside your can'ts and step into God's can and show his love to people. Because believe it or not, when you accept people with a smile and you invite them to be a part of your life and you're nice to them, God will actually open up their hearts to whatever he wants to do through them. It happens around here. There's a, there's a lady, uh, last of all, um, Paul was then released in the ministry. You see, he was included, he was included, he was included, then he was released. Acts 13, 23, when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And there's a time where God wants to call you out so he can release you to do what he's called you to do. 
There, there's a group, uh, I think uh, Lisa is over. You in the background over there, Lisa? Lisa, come on out and stand here so they can get you on the camera with me. This is some pictures up on the screen. This is at where? Center Ridge Nursing Home, is that right? And you guys lead a nursing home ministry there, is that correct? And uh, so you gave some flowers to these guys recently and you've been doing some kind of interact and started doing services again, am I correct? Oh, did you hear that? Can't start services because you don't have enough volunteers. So you know what I would like to do? There are people in this room in O'Neill Nursing Home that need your love, and you can show up and sing a song with them and turn a page for them and tell them about the love of Jesus. And you would like some people to help you with that, right? Yes, please. Please? So catch her today and make sure you're a part because you know what she's doing? She's being Barnabas to a whole nursing home full of people. Aren't you glad there are people like this among us? Thank you, Lisa. Hey, tomorrow we're going to fill this house with a bunch of VBS kids. They're all going to be running around like crazy, snotty, sweaty, stinky kids, and I love it. It's awesome. And and you know what? There are going to be some of you that you're going to give extra time and go beyond, and you're going to do more than maybe you even feel comfortable doing. Thank you for being the people of God and not just sitting on the sidelines, but investing where it makes a difference. Later on this summer, we're going to do Harvest Palooza. We're going to throw a party for our entire community. When we do Harvest Palooza, it's going to be a blast. But you know who's going to make it work? You. If you're not there to make it work, it will not work. Because at Harvest Ridge, that, that word was Paul was released. Isn't that what it said? Paul was released. At some point, you need to be released into ministry because you are the called out ones and it's not enough for you simply to sit in church once a month and absorb some kind of message from the dude and sing along with the band if that's your christianity you don't have much of a followership of jesus you're not really following jesus you know what you're doing you're a religious person in american culture You're not following Jesus because Jesus demands a whole lot more out of you. He demands it all. He wants you to be released to do something with your life rather than simply as a consumer sit and take once a month. God wants to invest you in this world so that everywhere you go and every person you talk to are impacted by Jesus Christ because you are the body of Christ. You are not somebody else it's not the preacher's duty it's your duty because you represent Jesus you are to be light every day and we got some people who are going to do that Uh, Peter and Sandy would you guys stand up you and your family would you guys just stand up right where you're at these guys are going to go to a part of Africa tomorrow right you're getting on a plane tomorrow is that right when Thursday, Thursday, they're getting on a plane. They're going to a place in Africa that they've been in correspondence for a while. It's relatively dangerous. If I were to send you there, you'd be like, I don't think I want to go, but they're going to go because they're, they're called by God to go there. This is, these are members in our church family who are going to Africa to do a work for God and they're leaving Thursday. Uh, Wouldn't you want somebody to pray for you? So why don't we do it? If you're close to them, maybe, I don't know, maybe get a little Pentecostal, reach up and put a hand on their shoulder. So we're going to pray for them right now. Let's do this, okay? Jesus, we pray over Peter and Sandy as they go. Lord, we release them in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And would you use them and move upon them in the name of Jesus? Release them, God, to make an impact in the world. God, I I would pray protect them, but I'm not sure that's your highest intention for them. I think your highest intention is that everything they do would shed the love of Jesus Christ to every person they meet. Let that be their legacy. Let that be their life. Let that be the power that comes out of them. In the name of Jesus, and bless their kids who are staying here. One of them's going off to, uh, God, going on a mission herself. God, help them. Help them to grow and to become the people you've called them to be in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I got one final thing to say to you. Actually, two. If you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord, like Paul, you haven't said, Lord, who are you? My prayer is today you would say, Jesus, be my Lord. You know what? I'm not going to ask you to respond to me. I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus. And eventually, you'll come around. We'll talk. We'll deal with it. I'm not trying to add stats or anything. I'm inviting you into something. You ready? Will you say, Jesus, I will follow you. Okay? All right. Now the rest of you, the body of Christ, the called out ones. Isn't it about time that you said, I will be invested too? I will be. Jesus, use my life to make an impact on this world. I say, okay, Lord, use me. And if you want to recognize today that you're called out and that God has a work for you to do, he has an attitude for you to change, he has a a, a difference for you to make. And if that's you and you, you know you're saying today, Jesus, I want to step in today the ability to do what you called me to do. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet around this place. If you're saying today is the day, I just step in all the way in. I'm all the way in. It is my day. I'm going to follow Jesus. God, I will commit. I am going to represent you in my workplace. I'm going to represent you in my home. I'm going to represent you everywhere I go. It is my day. I am going all in right now. Father, would you see those standing? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit and power? Would you release them into the ministry to which you've called them? And Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would do a work in their lives and through them that will change the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this song as a commitment.